We uh, ended last time a little bit into 2 Chronicles 19. I think we got it as far as verse 3 or 4 um, uh, because the story kind of ended there. And so as we come across then uh, what's happening this evening, which is King Jehoshaphat appoints judges and some other uh, leaders. We're going to pick it up at verse 4. So I think I'm just going to start in. However, this chapter to, to many people is not all that interesting. And I find that when I'm reading a part of the Bible that, that strikes me that way, or sometimes just I'm reading too many Psalms in a row, I'll begin to uh, uh, sort of apply uh, uh, the idea of where do we fit here in the catechism. And in this case, I chose the Ten Commandments. So as we're reading through this, I'm just going to ask which commandment kind of fits here. You know? And then we'll, uh, hopefully I've chosen the ones, because I made slides, so hopefully I'll choose the ones that you'll probably uh, look at and we'll uh, take a look at some of those commandments. Otherwise, we'll just do it off the top of our heads. So Jehoshaphat ruled from Jerusalem, like the other kings of Judah. He once again went out among the people from Beersheba to the hill country of Ephraim and brought them back to the Lord, the God of their fathers. So uh, Jehoshaphat goes out and is doing what? Outreach? Uh, kind of, uh, we would call it maybe elders work to look at the straying, uh, to bring them back to the Lord. But something, uh, just a, a curiosity in this verse is that normally in the Bible, when they talk about the, the whole country of Israel, we say from Dan to Beersheba, up, way up north to way down south. However, that's not the way David talked. And so David would say from Beersheba to whatever. And here Jehoshaphat adopts that same language, saying from Beersheba to the, up to the hill country of Ephraim, which is the northern limit of Judah. So uh, I, I just thought I would point that out because it's kind of an interesting little detail here. And the, the Lord, the God of their fathers, he appointed judges throughout the land in all the fortified cities of Judah, city by city. I didn't do a map of all the cities or fortified cities of Judah, although I might have uh, been able to do that. But these are judges in the same sense that we're used to from the book of Judges. So people who were uh, responsible, uh, individuals who could uh, judge cases and also make probably some theological decisions um, locally that wouldn't necessarily have to come back to the high priest back in Jerusalem. Um, so when we're talking about focusing our attention on the true God, naturally what commandment comes to mind? First commandment. So uh, if you don't mind, can we just read it off the screen? Because I, for one, learned with a different translation of the commandments. So this is Kuski's newer translation, so we'll just read. You shall have no other gods. What does this mean? We should fear, love, and trust in God above all things. Um, I, I, uh, I've been teaching uh, the public school catechism kids on Wednesday nights and teaching them the commandments and making them memorize, first of all, gives them all shock face, like, what? Because the, the eighth graders are ready for that, but the seventh graders do not think that they'll have to memorize anything, including spelling or capitalization or math or, I don't know, whatever else. Um, 
but here, to, to help memorize, um, you know, one thing that I, I, try to, I try to emphasize with the families of our confirmation age kids is helping kids to memorize without yelling at them. Because for many people, that was an experience of, of, of childhood, is the screaming about the memorization, um, at least when, we, when I was a child. Um, but here, look at this. I have the kids hold up their fist and count the numbers. So what are the three things we should do for God? In the, in the what does this mean? We should fear, love, trust in God above all things. So it's a simple little thing. But you do it, if you do it with their fingers and help have them do it with their fingers, they're bound to remember that a little bit better because it gives them something to do. Um, I think somebody told me that was kinesthetic learning once upon a time, but it doesn't make any difference. It's actions help the brains. So back to, um, uh, 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 back to Jehoshaphat. He said to the judges, so not only does he appoint them, but he gives them training. And that's important too. Don't just tell them go do, but then tell them what to do and follow up. So he said to the judges, watch what you do. Because you are not judging for the people, but for the Lord. He is with you as you judge. Uh, this next verse is one of the verses that makes Chronicles, uh, or, or is one of the verses from Chronicles that shows up the most in doctrine textbooks. May the dread of the Lord be upon you. Watch what you do because there is no injustice, partiality, or taking bribes with the Lord our God. So if you're talking about God's holiness and justice, what does that mean? Well, in a negative sense, that is not what's wrong with God, but the, the things that I would say God does not do. That's what I mean by negative. He, does not, he is not unjust, he is not partial, and he does not take bribes. And therefore, uh, Jehoshaphat tells the judges, so you shouldn't do that either. This was in a culture that lived on bribes, basically. And what cultures still take bribes? All of them. Yeah. I, 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 uh, I don't think I said this to the morning group, but there, I, have, I, I happen to have a distant relative who, when he gets pulled over, oh, I did say this to the morning group, when he gets pulled over and they ask for his license, instead of getting out his license, he has a habit of showing Benjamin Franklin instead. You know, who's on the 50? And, uh, oh, no, that's uh, Grant. Franklin is the 100, isn't he? Yeah, so, and Uncle Ben. Um, and sometimes it works, and sometimes it does not. <laughs> you trying to bribe me, son? You know, you don't want to get into that. Uh, but, yeah, don't take bribes. Um, so the Lord our God. And, you know, you're taking something that you should not do. This is dishonest dealing, which brings us, in my mind, to the seventh commandment, Let's read this one. You shall not steal. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not take our neighbor's money or property or get it by dishonest dealing, but help him to improve and protect his property and means of income. When I was a kid uh, going to church on Sunday morning, once in a while we would drive past a certain family's house and there in the ditch would be all of their horses. Oh, they got out again. So dad would stop the car and my brother and my dad and I would get out and we would shoo the horses back up into the, you know, through the broken fence. Um, and uh, often it was just because 
uh, the rains would wash this one metal fence post kind of down into the ditch. Because if a horse would push against it, then, it's, then there's no fence. And they would get out and we would, it happened all the And the ditch was so deep that sometimes it looked like the horses were kind of swimming through the dirt. You know, but it was, it was an interesting phenomenon, but it happened fairly often. Um, so help him to improve and protect. That's what dad would say. We got to the car. Help him to improve and protect his property and business. That was the, the older translation, but that's what dad would have us do. Eighth commandment also with regard to bribes. You shall not give false testimony against your neighbor. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not tell lies about our neighbor, betray him, or give him a bad name, but defend him, speak well of him, and take his words and actions in the kindest possible way. Uh, my generation, we would end it with, but put the best construction on everything. That's what we used to say, which is why I say it twice in the pulpit often, say it for both crowds. What makes chapters 19 and 20 uh, also remarkable in this book is that Luther quotes from them so often. And this is also what Luther said about this particular uh, verse. A prince should trust his officials and allow them to act, but only in such a way that he will still keep the reins of government in his own hands. He must not be overconfident, but keep his eyes open and attend to things, and like Jehoshaphat, ride through the land and observe everywhere how the government and the law are being administered. In this way, he will learn for himself that one cannot place complete trust in any one man or depend on him. So Luther complimenting the king for assigning judges, but then also doing when in my restaurant days, we would say, follow up. Give a command, tell somebody to do something, and then follow up on them, make sure that they're doing it properly. Okay, so Luther has about four volumes. Luther, uh, Luther's works is, I don't know, 70-some volumes long. Four of them are just on this idea of temporal authority in the world, based on things that he wrote and sermons and papers and books and things like that. In Jerusalem, so back in the city, Two, Jehoshaphat appointed men from the Levites, the priests, and the leading fathers of Israel to act as judges on behalf of the Lord and to settle disputes, and they presided in Jerusalem. Why Levites? Besides the priests and the leading fathers of Israel, that makes sense. You've got the, the, the religious and the secular, but why Levites also? I think because from the Levites, comes the idea of recording secretaries or scribes. They were uh, educated in how to take notes quickly and to, and to keep records, and that would help to assign a Levite here or there to help out whoever it might happen to be. Does that make sense? Okay. Um, but if you are dealing now also with the religious side of things, then we also get back to um, using God's name correctly, and for that, I'm going to sneak here into the second commandment. Um, let's just read it together. You shall not misuse the name of the Lord your God. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not use his name to curse, swear, lie, or deceive, or use witchcraft, but call upon God's name in every trouble, pray, praise, and give thanks. So there are lots of ways to misuse the name of the Lord. The ways that we use the name of the Lord correctly are pray, praise, and give thanks. 
So in hymns, in, our, in, in preaching, in teaching our children and, our, and ourselves, in our prayers uh, in the evening and the morning and so forth, giving thanks to God and calling on God in times of trouble. But there are plenty of ways to misuse God's name. When I was young, instead of use witchcraft, it said practice superstition. Um, and the change came about in the 90s when Professor Kuski gave us, actually it was in the early 80s, I should say, um, a new translation here, because witchcraft was becoming more and more prevalent in America, and Luther's words can go either way, superstition or witchcraft. Um, today, I think it would be good maybe to have both. Can we expand Luther to curse, swear, lie, or deceive, or practice superstition, or use witchcraft? Because I'd like to see all of them. I grew up with a loved one in my household who had to read her horoscope every day. And it bothered me, um, as, even as a child learning the second commandment, because, uh, for one thing, she got mad at me if I would even come close to misusing the name of the Lord. I occasionally got a swat or soap in the mouth for saying Jeepers Creepers or something along those lines, even if I were just quoting the song. Um, and, uh, and, and yet, uh, 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 she also needed her horoscope every single day. The Zodiac was a part of my childhood in that way. Um, um, so, uh, well, parents can make mistakes, can't they? Right? And we need to be patient with them and pray for them. I also know that she knew her Savior and is in heaven, but still. In this commandment also, the ideas of cursing and swearing and so forth have, have begun to... Uh, uh, um, I've had, a, I've had a kind of a, forgive the expression, a kind of a burr under the saddle for a while um, to talk about a, a, a particular realm of foul language that's more and more prevalent and now comes into my home just because it's now permitted on YouTube and things and on the, the, the new TV channel my kids watch, Pluto TV, allows all kinds of language without any kind of parental control. It just shows up. And, um, and uh, I've had people say, you've got to watch this show, but they always say the F word. You know, and so, well, do I have to watch that show then? And, and things like that. And I, um, uh, specifically because of that curse, um, I've begun to wonder if that should maybe show up into a sermon. Uh, although it would offend a lot of people, I wouldn't say it. Um, but, that, but that concept... If you do a, like a study of the sentence, is essentially a curse to be raped, violently raped. You know, and where do we stand then? Where where that's the language that are that we're using socially with people, because um, that's always the context. So um, thinking through, I don't know it. it you know, you, you don't want to say too much. Let's go back to Jehoshaphat. Uh, he commanded them, this is how you are to conduct yourselves in the fear of the Lord, in faithfulness and with your whole heart. Sounds like what Mr. Kepsel was just talking about. In every case concerning bloodshed, law, commands, statutes, or ordinances that come to you from your brother Israelites who live in their cities, 
You will instruct them so that they will not incur guilt before the Lord and so that wrath does not come upon you and upon your brothers. If you do this, you will not incur guilt. Uh, So in in, in that whole, if we unpack that whole uh, single sentence, um, when you're judging difficult cases, instruct them so that they will, the people you're dealing with will not incur God's wrath. So teach repentance, teach the fruits of repentance, teach faithful living, and, and that is how you will not incur guilt. Going back up to the bloodshed part, of course, though, what's the commandment that comes to mind? Fifth, let's read this one. You shall not murder. Can we stop? The, uh, the old King James translation, we should remember that the King James Version was a translation of the Bible, um, said what here? Thou shalt not kill. kill, which is not the Hebrew word. The Hebrew verb katal is the generic word for to put anything to death. Step on a dandelion, I've killed it, essentially. This is the word for murder to unlawfully take a human life and there's a difference why do I make the point Um, because while I respect people who are vegetarians or vegans they often will try to haul out the fifth commandment when they talk about not putting an animal to death to eat it as if that's breaking the fifth commandment it's not God gave mankind meat to eat in the form of animals um, in the, at, after the flood and we see for example Jesus uh, pr- having prepared broiled fish for his disciples to eat on the, on the shores of the Sea of Galilee in his exalted state mind you um, I mean if, if we get toward what we're going to eat in heaven I'm just saying um, but here with regard this is with regard to murder to wrongfully take a human life and there are about three exceptions to this in scripture, we'll talk about those in a second. Let's start the commandment all over again. You shall not murder. What does this mean? We should fear and love God that we do not hurt or harm our neighbor in his body, but help and befriend him in every bodily need. What parable is help and befriend him in every bodily need? The Good Samaritan. Yeah, where you've got the bloody guy has been robbed and so forth, and then the foreigner comes along and takes care of him and pays for his care and so forth. What are the three instances where God does permit the taking of a human life? Doesn't command it, but it's permitted. Number one, self-defense. But a, a, a friend of mine who was a lawyer, who was a member of our congregation, also very seriously warned when we would talk about this in Bible class, he would say, make sure they're facing you and not away from you. Because self-defense is not when they're running away. You know, if they break into your house or whatever, that's okay, but that, if they're climbing out the window, that's no longer self-defense. Um, uh, you know, it doesn't mean you can't snap them with a rubber band because you're mad or whatever, but, you know, self-defense. What's the second one? A just war. Yeah, um, Luther makes a point uh, when he's talking about that in the, I think, of the large catechism. If, for example, a soldier in the course of a war becomes a Christian, is converted to Christianity, that doesn't give him leave to, to, to stop fighting in the name of the king or the duke um, because God does, in fact, in the Old Testament, God even commands certain wars to take place. 
Um, but there are moments where it's completely out of the question. For example, David spends almost his entire life defending one principle. Do not lift your hand against the Lord's anointed. And then what happens to David? Two of his sons do exactly that against him. Like, you know, they're not listening to dad. But he, uh, uh, David even uh, puts to death an Amalekite, not because he's an Amalekite, and not because maybe he lied when he said he killed King Saul, but because he claimed to have killed King Saul. And how, how could you possibly lift your hand against the Lord's anointed? So, what do we have? Uh, um, Self-defense, thank you. And, uh, and a just war, what's the third possibility? Capital punishment. Again, not commanded by God, but permitted by God. I'm not sure I would want to be the guy to throw the switch or whatever, but permitted by God. Yeah. And there are, uh, there are occasions of capital punishment. We're about to come across one in the daily devotions in the book of Numbers where um, the high priest uh, or the son of the high priest grabs a spear because the people are committing sexual immorality at the, this is the incident with the Baal of Peor, and he actually drives the spear through a couple in the act of, 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 of having sex um, when the guy has brought in a foreign woman. Uh, um, that's all I'll say. What did I, uh, um, I'm uh, reviewing uh, some Shakespeare at home as I do the dishes and so forth. And what did uh, the king say last night? Um, every man's soul's his own, but every man's duty is to the king. Uh, so the king has authority over us, but we're, each man is still responsible for his own actions. Yeah. Henry V, Act, probably Act Three. Yeah. But take note of this. We're back to Jehoshaphat here. Last verse of the chapter. Take note of this. Amariah, the head priest, is over you in all matters concerning the Lord. Makes sense. Zebediah, son of Ishmael, is the governor for the house of Judah in all matters concerning the king. Wow, even a governor. And so now, I think that's a pretty good political structure. King, high priest over here, governor over here. That's pretty basic um, uh, command structure of a kingdom. And then the Levites are officials for you. Act courageously. I love that phrase. Act courageously. The Lord will be with those who do what is good. Don't be scared, you judges, as you go out and do this stuff. Um, be fierce, be, ze be zealous for the Lord. The Lord will be with those. You've been listening to Invisible Church, the Bible study podcast from St. Paul's Lutheran Church, New Wall, Minnesota.